Uh, please open your Bibles to Psalm 18. In the Pew Bibles, I think, there's a little bit of variation among the Pew Bibles, but I think page 454 is going to get you there. My name is Brett Sweet. I'm one of the pastors here at GCF where we do exist to glorify God through gospel-centered worship, evangelism, discipleship, and community. Uh, we are in a series through the book of Psalms. We're going to end our summer series here this, uh, actually next week, and then we'll have a four-part series on the mission of our church, then we'll be back in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, I'm, it's good to be back in the pulpit. Psalm 18 is the third longest psalm, so we normally have people stand and we read the whole text and say, thanks be to God at the end. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I do want you to stand, and uh, as I read verses 1 through three, and then the last verses, 46 through 50, and then one other verse. This is the word of the Lord. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Verse 46, the Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued people under me, who delivered me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You rescued me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Now verse 31. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This is a long text, and so I'm warning you, this is a bit longer sermon. If you need to leave for any reason, uh, just don't scream your way out saying you don't believe any of it and that this guy's crazy. Just go out quietly and, and, we'll, and God be with you. Let me pray. Lord, we're thankful for this day. We're thankful for this text. We're thankful for your goodness to us. We're thankful that you live And we pray, Lord, that since you live, that we would live forever with you, that your life would overflow into our souls, and we would know you and enjoy you and worship you this morning. We pray, God, that you would please reveal yourself to us, that Jesus Christ would be the great hero, that I would be forgotten. Lord, I confess again, as I did this morning, that he who who plants and he who waters is nothing but God who gives the growth. So I pray that you would grow us this morning for your sake. Amen. Now, I could be wrong. It's just my opinion, and that's okay. You can disagree with me. But I believe that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player ever. Now, I may be wrong, but... I think there's somebody who would agree with me, and his name is Michael Jordan. When he was inducted into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame in 2012, he spent a little bit of time thanking people, 
But most of his time he spent talking about himself. When he talked about other people, he mostly said, that person, what they did is they helped me be more competitive. They brought out what was in me. And so he talked about himself, and it was all about victory. It was all about wins. And the wins came because of him. He said, it's not organizations that win championships. People like him. He spoke to his children briefly, and what he said was, you know, I feel sorry for you guys. You got got to grow up in my shadow. Seems that you won't be able to live up to the praise that I've received. In his speech, he didn't really mention thanking his coaches really in any way. Didn't thank them. Didn't talk about the, how they helped him with the fundamentals to make him better. He didn't acknowledge that he was blessed to be six foot six when his two brothers were five foot four and five foot five. All that was completely out of his control. And at such a moment, the victory of being in the Hall of Fame after so many victories on the basketball court. Michael Jordan seemed to praise Michael Jordan. So it's easy for us to be self-righteous and say, well, I would never do that. I would never praise myself when I'm victorious. But the truth is, that's us. I got into that university. It's my grades. I worked hard. I got the promotion. Those other guys are passed over. I'm, I'm clearly superior to them. I've got a little better brains, a little harder worker. I've got better health because I eat organic. They, they just eat junk food. Their health problems their own, are their own fault. But the Bible tells us that thinking that way leads us to pride and self-deception. And so victories become losses when that's the case. Now, our decisions really do matter, our actions really do make a difference, but when we are victorious, where does the real root of victory come from? When you have a win in your life, who deserves the praise? Who is it? If we praise the wrong person or the wrong thing, our victories become losses. So here in Psalm 18, David worked hard. He trained for battle. He was a great fighter. He used strategic political wisdom. All of that mattered. But we're told here that he is victorious over all of his enemies in the superscription. All of his enemies. And he and the Holy Spirit counsel us this day. This is the simple overarching theme. In victory, praise God. In victory, verb, praise God. Give your praise to God when you have victories. But the question is, is who is God? What is he like? Why is he worth praising? We have in front of us 50 verses that help us answer that question. We're not going to read them all, but I'm going to hit seven short headings and highlight the verses. I want you to go home and read the whole text when you get home. But who is this God if we're meant to praise him in victory? Heading one, he is a God who protects He's a God who protects. That's who you want to praise when you have a victory. Let's read Psalm 18, verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So David has been delivered from all of his enemies. Finally, he has a measure of rest. He has some protection and some safety. Why? Why does he have it? Because God protects. He protected him. 
finally, he, he, has been, he has been David's rock that he can stably build on. He's been a wall of protection. He's been a fortress, a stronghold. David knew the place to go when he was in trouble. He knew there was someplace safe. And he knew that when he came out the other side and was victorious over his enemies, it was because that person protected him. It was the Lord. He knew he couldn't trust other people. People will let you down. They can't be everywhere at once. In survival situations, and I'm always kind of interested in survival, there's this little uh, anagram, I think it is, or maybe it's an acronym, I'm, maybe I'm, I think it's an acronym, that goes like this, please remember what's first. Please remember what's first. P-R-W-F. The P for please means protection. That is your first priority when you're lost and trying to survive. Protection from the wind, from the animals, from the cold. And then remember, R, that's rescue. Then find a way to get rescued if you can. And then W, what? The water. Then you find water. And lastly, food. Food is least important. But that first thing is the main priority, protection when you're trying to survive. The same goes with our spiritual lives. We need protection. David needed protection from evil people. People are after him. And the Lord, his God, is his protection. He's a God who protects. One of those evil people, Saul, was actually uh, basically being driven by evil spirits. So we need protection from evil spirits. We're not naturalists. We don't think those are myths. The devil and the demons are real. So we need protected. We need a God who protects. We need protected from ourselves at times. We have self-destroying desires. We think maybe, maybe I'll be able to feel something if I could just cut myself this week. Then, then the, there will be some sort of release, but we need protected from ourselves. The Lord is a God who protects. So in victory, praise God. And who is God but the Lord? He is a God who protects. That was heading one. Heading two, he's a God who hears. The, the God you must praise is a God who hears, which is very good news. Let's look at verses four through six. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol, that's the underworld, entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. David, surrounded by his enemies, was looking death right in the eye, right in the face. Death in the underworld, Sheol, had him surrounded, wrapped up, tight. All David had the power to do was to call out to God. That's all he's got. But he's a God who hears. He's a God who hears. This is important. Throughout the whole Old Testament, time and time again, God is contrasted from others, from idols. Listen to Psalm 135, verse 17. They have ears, but do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. So David was powerless, but God hears. The God who hears brought him victory. We so often turn to idols 
We think that those gods will rescue us, but they can't hear. So don't trust in the idols of this world. They can't hear you. Maybe you trust in the God of romance to deliver you. If only Prince Charming or this beautiful woman will come along and love me, then all my problems will go away. I'll be delivered. But here's the thing. The God of romance can't hear you. And really needy, clingy, single people usually turn into really needy, unhappy, married people. God of romance won't hear you. Don't call out to the God of money. It cannot hear you. When the cords of death surround you, the God of money won't deliver you. We know that because we need delivered from debts. We need our, our student loan payments dissolved, apparently. They need to be gone. We need delivered from them. What about our credit cards, our bankruptcies, our gambling? They all show money can't deliver. You can call out to the idol of success or power or influence. But on your deathbed, guess what? It doesn't matter if you're a king or a CEO or that your name's in all the papers or on every website. It won't deliver you. Don't trust them. Hell's mouth is open before you. If you don't know Jesus, the shovels that will help dig your grave might already be forged. The trees that might make up your casket might already be fallen. Don't trust them. When the cords of death begin to bind themselves around you, call out to the only God who will hear you. And he will hear you. Trust him. David knew this. He had victory. And he was praising God for his victory. And who is God but the Lord? He's a God who protects. And he's a God who hears. But hearing is really of little help if he does nothing. So that's the third heading. He's a God who acts. He's a God who acts. He's a God of action. Verses 7 through 15 are awe-inspiring. Go back and read those. But I want us to zoom in on verses 9 through 10. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. If you go back and read the bigger section, there's all this talk of amazing stuff, earthquakes. I mean, it's a personifying God in in human language, and it almost sounds like dragon-type language. There's like smoke coming from nostrils. There's coals, fire, thunder, lightning. It's all on display because God is acting. So what David is doing is he's thinking back to the Old Testament, what he knows about God. God delivered his people from Egypt with all these signs and wonders and power. David realizes it's that same God who's acting on my behalf. He's intervening. He's saving me with supernatural power. So I'm going to cry out to you, God. Please act. And that same power is unleashed in a new setting. And we worship that same God. In our culture, indeed, in many churches, in the heart of many of us, and myself at times, we think that God is out there and exists and doesn't really care what's going on 
And he kind of leaves us alone, and every once in a while we need a little bit of help, so he's like, God, help us, make us feel better about ourselves, please, make us feel better. But he doesn't really act. We're like deists. We don't really live like he's active in the world. Now, if you know Hindus, talk to Hindus, it's somewhat similar. They make offerings to their gods, and they hope that the universe kind of starts to bend their direction and make things better, but really... Ethically, they're on their own. They're hoping for reincarnation. They were a rabbit two lives ago, maybe. A dog last time, now they're a human, good shot. Maybe if they do their task well, they live their dharma. They'll advance up the ladder, be a powerful human. Maybe someday even be freed from this. But really, in this life, it's all on me. Now, I got to get it together. That's not the God of David. That's not the God of the Bible. Our God acts, and this is good news. Jesus, God the Son, knew the the plight we were in, and God the Father knew it, and God the Spirit knew it. And they looked down, and we were sinners in rebellion against God. We couldn't save ourselves. And Jesus bowed the heavens and came down. God the Son came to live for us, a life of 30 plus years acting, first as a baby, then a small boy, then an adult, acting, earning righteousness for us, living, living every day for us sinlessly. He did it. He acted. He saved us. He deserves the praise. So in victory, praise Him, not yourselves. When you're victorious, praise God. He's a God who protects. He's a God who hears. He's a God who acts. And who is God but the Lord? If he hears and he acts, then logically, we arrive at heading four. He's a God who rescues. A God who rescues, helps needy people. Let's read verses 16 through 19. He sent from on high. In other translations, actually, I think I like better. He reached from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me. For they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. If you walk around the blocks around here or other neighborhoods, there's Buddhist prayer flags all over. Buddhism is very attractive. If you follow Buddha, the Buddha is a, was a man who really did care about suffering. He really did care when people were hurt. But he did not come to rescue people. He wouldn't claim to come and rescue people. He's just trying to be freed from the suffering, show a path that if you follow it rigidly, maybe you'll be freed from your suffering. Maybe you'll be able to achieve nirvana. He's not a God who rescues. He wouldn't claim to be. Additionally, our Muslim friends, they believe in a God who has faded everything. Know this, I have a stepsister who has converted to Islam. I was talking to her husband. God is not going to intervene. He's not going to. Allah will not rescue. By contrast, David was overcome. He was facing a strong enemy who was too mighty for him. 
Just like we face an enemy too mighty for us. Satan's too strong. We've got death in front of us, sin. It's all too strong in our natural state. We're bound up, tied up with cords, locked in a box, hoping somebody will deliver us. But look at this. With all the claustrophobia, if you get down, if you keep, re- keep reading, you'll see that God brought David out into a broad place. He was tied up in cords, but now he's out in the open. He can move. He can breathe because God rescued David. And he did it because God delighted in David. Can you say that God delights in you? Can you say that? David could. Are you quite sure that God delights in you? He knows everything about you. So think about the times you were sneaky. Didn't want anybody to know about where you spent that money or that website, or what you did on that evening? Have you been rescued? The God who rescues, rescues through His Son, Jesus. When Jesus was baptized, God the Father said this from the heavens, this is my beloved Son. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. He delights in His Son. He delights in Jesus. And in the mysteries of divine election, I don't claim to know all the ins and outs of this, somehow, Jesus came and represented us. So that when we believe and trust in Jesus, God looks at us the way He looks at Jesus and says, this is my beloved Son, Brett, with whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved daughter, insert name, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus lived and died as a substitute for us. He died for our penalty so that we could live. And when we do Jesus' sinless perfection, when we believe, is credited to us. So God does delight in us. He does love to rescue us. We're locked in to goodness. God's only going to bring good into our lives. The struggles are going to work for our good. We're adopted as God's children. It's all God who's done the work. So how could we take credit for it? That would turn a victory into a loss. So in our victory, let's praise God. It's God who's done it. And who is God but the Lord? He's a God who rescues He protects and he hears and he acts. Believe in him today. Trust him today. Live for him today. But Psalm 50, or Psalm 18 has 50 verses in it. There's a lot more to say. We're not even halfway through. This brings us to something else to praise God for. Heading five. He is a God who is just. He's a God who is just. There's justice with him. Now, this is very obvious if you read verses 20 through 27, but I want us to zoom in on verses 24 through 26. Let me read them. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you, that's God, show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. Christianity is growing around the world. It's not showing any signs of slowing down either. 
But simultaneously in our Western world, atheism is growing. So you uneducated people, haven't you read a science book? You don't need God anymore. You don't need him. It's mindless nature. Survival of the fittest. But the natural world is cruel. The saying goes, it's red in tooth and claw. See, the cougar, and I've seen this effect from my time hunting, cougar doesn't care that the doe has fawns. It just kills and tears apart. The cancer doesn't care that the patient has lived a good and honest life. It tears them apart. The car and the stoplight don't care that someone just ran a red light and now a child is dead. Deep down, there's something that cries in our atheistic culture. It says, where's the justice in it all? This isn't fair. There are injustices. There are things that need to be made right. But here we see a God who acts justly. We may not always see it in this life. There's mystery. But the righteous are rewarded. The merciful will be treated with mercy. The blameless and the innocent will be declared so at the final judgment. You're wrongly accused. God knows. He knows. Our culture needs this God. What our culture wants is found in this God. And who is God but the Lord, a God who is just, one who rewards the good and brings consequences to the evil, even if it is the horrors of hell. And yet, if you read verses 20 through 27 this afternoon, you might read something that makes you feel a bit uneasy. David is claiming to be blameless. He's speaking of his own righteousness. And this sounds to us like pride and self-righteousness. Sounds like something a Pharisee would say. Sounds like something Jesus would be all over. Cut that out, David. But this happens regularly in the Psalms. And so we need to make sure we're not misunderstanding him. Other Psalms show that David knows he's a sinner in great ways. He knows he needs a Savior. So what David is bringing up here is that in the context of his enemies, when they're hunting him and chasing him, trying to kill him, He knows he's innocent of those charges. He hasn't harmed them, caused them to come after him. He hasn't done that. He's blameless in that context. It's just like if we were on trial and completely on trial for our lives and every single detail of our lives is under under examination, we know we're in trouble. After all, you drove 32. Hamilton's only a 30. You would be guilty. But, that, but at the same time, you know that if you're under trial for some murder or some larceny or something like that, you know that you didn't commit that crime. So it is right for you to say, I'm innocent of that. That's what David is declaring his innocence of there. But further, skip down to verse 32. The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless... Even in this limited setting, this li- like, I didn't do anything wrong in this setting, okay, everybody? Okay, God? I'm blameless because God made me blameless. I don't deserve to be praised for this victory. It's God. It's what He's done. It's His righteousness. It's His empowerment. 
And God is just. So in victory, praise God. And who is God but the Lord? He's a God who protects, he hears, he acts, he rescues, he's just. Now let's notice heading six. He's a God who empowers. He empowers. This becomes really clear if you read a ton of verses, verses 28 through 45. I'm going to read some kind of several verses. You can just follow along. Verses 28 through 29. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. And by my God, I can leap over a wall. Verse 32, the God who equipped me with strength. Verse 33, he made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. Verse 39, for you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. Verse 43, you delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations. People who I had not known, who I had not known served me. So notice that David doesn't lie here. He doesn't say, I'm a bad warrior. I'm a bad king. Nah, he doesn't. He says, wait a second. It was God's power, though. So if you end up in the Hall of Fame for basketball or dog training or knitting or whatever's important for you, you don't need to lie. You can say, yeah, you know what? I, I was able to jump over the wall like David could. I was able to make the shots when the clock was ticking down. But it's because God empowered me to do it. God empowered me. He's the one that helped me pass the test. He gave me the time. He gave me the memory. He gave me the ability to practice. He gave me the information I needed to win. So, and that's a really freeing thing for us. It's not all on you. It's not all on you. God will empower you. So in our sanctification and becoming more like Jesus, it's not just us. Try harder, try harder, get it together. God will empower us. There's a God who empowers. So Christians, call out to him. Let's follow David's example and give credit where credit is due. This is why we should be so humble as Christians. So humble. Listen to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Why do we boast? Everything we have came from God. So don't turn victories into losses by boasting in yourself. In victory, praise God. And who is God but the Lord? He protects he hears, he acts, he rescues, he is just, he empowers, and now, heading seven, he is the God who is personal. This God is a person. It's personal. We see this in verses 46 through 50, which are bookends with the opening verses of one and three, but let's read 46 through 48. The Lord lives and blessed, or blessed be my rock. And exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued people under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. So if you read these verses, or verses 1 through 3, or verses 16 through 19, there's this personal language here. Me, you, I, mine. The Lord is not just a God. He's David's God. 
The Lord is David's rock. David can say to God, you are mine. I know you. Now, the Eastern religions and pantheism imagine God out there often kind of like the force in Star Wars. Just tap into it. The force is not personal. In fact, you notice it needs a person to speak to Luke. So Obi-Wan just came to me. Didn't think about this. It's always some other person out in the force. Got to make up for the force because it's not personal. But God is a person. He's always been a person. He's always been personal. He exists as Father, Son, Holy Spirit forever. Always loving one another. So if you're here and you aren't a Christian, this test asks you that question in verse 31 that I keep asking. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? How are you going to answer that? Who is better than this God? If you reject him, where are you going to go? Nowhere better. Normally, I don't do a study of comparative religion in a sermon like I'm doing today. But verse 31 kind of calls for it, doesn't it? And I'm showing you, I'm trying to be fair to other religions. But who is God but the Lord? Wherever you go, if you go somewhere else, if you go to yourself, you're not going anywhere better. Now, according to Jesus, following him will require a cost, but it will be worth it. The God who is personal will make himself known to you. You will know him. You'll be known by him. You'll feel loved by him. He will enable you to be joyful even when you have to give things up. You will know this God. And this God will always be with you forever and ever. This God will be taking care of you, protecting you, rescuing you, empowering you. All the things we've seen here. And as Christians, we need to help one another meditate on these things. We need to remind each other. Who is God but the Lord? Not a job. Your job is not your God. Maybe you need to cut back the hours. Your children. Your children are really important but they're not God. Sometimes you're going to have to tell them no. Your spouse is not God. Who is God but the Lord? Look at how great he is. We should be asking each other, who is God? Who is like this God? No one. And how do you know him? Through Jesus Christ. Now, for those of you who are like me, a little bit obsessed with figuring out how Jesus fits in here, if I haven't done that well enough. Verse 49 says this, For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. If you go read the New Testament, the Apostle Paul quotes that in Romans 15, verse 8, about Jesus. About Jesus. And now what's so significant here is that David is saying, hey, I'm going to praise you among the nations. And the the original audience of the Psalms is thinking, yeah, David, David, he he defeated all of his enemies. Look at him. He's ruling over the nations. Israel's on the ascent. Things are great. And look, we're going to press down the Philistines and any other rivals. But the context in Romans 15 is a little different. Yes, Jesus will rule over every nation. That's good news. But he will also rule from among them with us. 
not just over us, but with us, from among us. And over every nation, that means every race. So we should try to be a diverse church, ruled by Jesus, praising him, not just over the nations, but among them, uniting us. So let's stay with Jesus. Let's not go anywhere else. Who is God but the Lord? He's revealed in Jesus Christ. Now, the same night that Michael Jordan was inducted into the Hall of Fame, there was another person who was inducted, giving his acceptance speech. And his whole acceptance speech was basically thanking people. His name is David Robinson. He was just acknowledging how helpful people were to him. He encouraged his children, said, kids, I, I just hope that this gives you a name you want to live up to. Um, but I'm going to encourage you to be who, you, who God's made you to be. You're going to have your own gifts and strengths. God's going to be with you. And he went down the list and named each kid and encouraged them. And his name is David Robinson, named after this David, ultimately. And he ended his speech by recounting the story from Luke 17. He says, you know, there's a story in the Bible. There's all these lepers that come to Jesus, and Jesus heals them, 10 of them. But only one of them turned around and thanked Jesus. Only one of them really acknowledged where this healing, this victory came from. So David Robinson looked at the crowd and he encouraged them. He says, hey, I want you to know that God. I want you to return to him and give him thanks. That's all I got is thanks. That's all I can do for him. So in this church, we're going to have some victories. We're going to overcome some addictions. We're going to get some degrees, all you college students. Believe it or not, the piece of paper comes. We're going to see people converted. We're going to see marriages repaired, sins repented of, business, sports, school success. We're going to see that. And when we see them, we want to make sure those victories don't become losses. So when we get those victories, let's praise the Lord. Where else would we give it? And he's ours. He's the best. Who is God but the Lord? Let me pray. Lord, we're thankful for this day. We're thankful for this text. We're thankful for this truth. Who is God but you? God, there's so many things I'm sure I did that were distracting and unhelpful. I pray that they would be forgotten. Pray that this text would change us and motivate us and humble us and that we would be people that when we experience a victory of any kind, that we would give praise to the Lord. That's you. Help us. Open our eyes to see our need and how you meet our needs, how you use us for your purposes and you don't exist for ours. In Jesus' name, amen.